Welcome to Lit Mag Love, presented by Room Magazine and We Are Lit Writers. I'm Rachel Thompson, writer, editor, and online instructor. In this first season of Lit Mag Love, the podcast, I interview editors from literary journals and share readings from the pages of Lit Mags. My aim is for you, dear writer, to find a Lit Mag where you may have your own words cherished by readers. My guest today is one of my dear colleagues at Room Magazine, Shalene Knight, the managing editor there. Room is Canada's oldest feminist literary journal and has published fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, art interviews, and book reviews for 40 years. It's published quarterly by the West Coast Feminist Literary Magazine Society, also known as the Growing Room Collective. Room showcases writing and art by women, cisgender, and transgender, transgender men, two-spirit, and non-binary people. And at Room, we, and I'll say we because I'm also part of the collective, believe in publishing emerging writers alongside established authors. And because of this, approximately 90% of the work we publish comes from unsolicited submissions or contest entries. Work that originally appeared in Room has been anthologized in the Journey Prize Anthology, Best Canadian Poetry, Best Canadian Stories, and Best Canadian Essays, and has been nominated for a National Magazine Award. So Shalene Knight is with me today. She's currently the managing editor at Room. And Braided Skin, her first book, which was published by Mother Tongue Publishing, has given birth to numerous writing projects, including her second book, Dear Current Occupant, which is forthcoming from Book Thug. And it's now actually a non-fiction collection. It used to be prose poems, and we're going to get into how that changed when I talked to her. And it's written in the voice of a young woman speaking to the horror, sadness, and pleasures that took place in the over 20 homes she lived in as a child. And... Shalene is now working with fiction mentor Jen Sukfong Lee on a novel set in the Strathcona neighborhood of Vancouver in the 1930s to 50s, known as Hogan's Alley. Welcome, Shalene. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great to talk to you, and, and thank you for joining me so early in the morning after yeah. I know, a launch <laughs> happened the night before for Room. So, Yeah, of course. <laughs> So I just want to jump into you and your writing life just to get to know a little bit more about Shalene Knight, the writer, and and then we're going to transition into the editor and talking about Room, too. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first thing I'm wondering is you published in many lit mags yourself, and I'm just wondering if you you have a best experience you can relay, like something that you had with a publication other than Room that really stood out for you. Yeah. Uh, Well, although Room was actually the first publication to publish my creative work. So I published articles and some nonfiction stuff before that, but Room was the first lit mag to to take my work. But I did publish with uh, an American literary magazine called Raven Chronicles. So that was the first place where I published poetry. So they wrote me to tell me that they wanted to accept my work, but they also included like these personal comments about why they liked it. And I thought that was pretty cool and like what worked well with my piece. So I was kind of blown away by that because who has the time to personally email someone and tell them what they liked about their work. So we kind of went back and forth over email, getting the piece just right. So I kind of felt like I was included in their editing process. And then she explained how long things would take and when they'd be able to get back to me. And I thought this was quite the experience and like, you know, I was the, I felt like I was the only person they were 
corresponding with because the emails were were so personal. So editing process and like how people interact with writers is it was totally humanized. I think. Wow, and I I wonder if now that you've worked at Room for a while, you realize even more so how special that experience was. Yeah, totally. And I think that's why I try to do the same thing at Room. I mean, it's not easy. We have, you know, we get a ton of submissions, but I kind of want to break down that barrier that can sometimes exist between the writer and the editor. So being on both sides of the table is, is a privilege now for me. So, and I acknowledge that privilege fully. Now you describe your childhood as a tough one in numerous interviews. I think you've been talking about that in, in vis-a-vis also your upcoming work, your nonfiction work. So mm-hmm. how did you come to books and writing through that childhood? Are there yeah. other artists in your family in the last couple of generations or? Hmm. Uh, I was always a reader and a writer. So I think like many young folks who have traumatic childhoods, I sought out an escape and mine was reading and writing. And I remember this teacher that I had in grade six and her name was Mrs. McLeod, and she was like my biggest supporter. So she'd watch me fill up notebooks and like a fraction of the time that it took the other students. And she'd watch me um, breeze ahead in our assigned readings. And she didn't ignore it. So I think that that was that important piece is she didn't ignore what she saw. So she'd constantly get me to share my stuff in class. And I was 11. So <laughs> I was shy and I, I hid behind my paper, but she got me started. So Every single day, she's like, Shalene, what did you write today? So I will honestly never forget that. And I'm pretty much the only writer in my family. And I think, yeah, everyone in my family is very sports heavy. So you can imagine, you know, how that would be tough being the only kind of creative person who nobody understands this big mystery, right? So, and I didn't uh, grow up with my father's side. But we we do correspond over email here and there. And uh, I found out that he was working on a memoir about his life in Uganda during the reign of Idi Amin. So I don't know much about it, but I saw this small necessary connection between the both of us. So it's kind of made me feel a little less lost after learning that there was a slight chance that I shared that trait with my dad. So I'm this writing is coming from somewhere. Yeah, and that he's writing memoir too, that you're both writing, telling your story. Mm-hmm. And you write in so many genres. How did that happen for you? What What's your favorite of the genres? I alluded to this in the intro about how Dear Current Occupant evolved from poetry to nonfiction. How did that happen? Yeah, I think it depends on what mindset I'm in. So I fall deep into fiction and it takes me to another world and it is very intense. It's really hard to explain. I wouldn't say I have a favorite genre, but I have a favorite mindset. So I enjoy the way I can kind of unlock a door and walk into a world that I created and then have the power to change that world however I see fit. I think there's a certain eliteness to that. And when I sit down to write, I find that my work doesn't always fit neatly into a category. So I just kind of listen to the writing and follow it. And nowadays, genres are mixing and blurring and bending, and I enjoy that crossover. Dear Current Occupant was originally written as poetry and submitted to my publisher as poetry. And then a few months ago, uh, (laughs) my publisher emailed me and said, very casually, I think this book should be nonfiction. And that was pretty much like the summary of the email. And it was sort of this casual thing. 
And I stared at that line in the email for a long time and all the fear kind of crept in, right? And I thought, okay, I have to completely restructure and rewrite this damn thing, right? <laughs> but I feel like, I feel like, okay, I'm going to sit down and do this work. And I felt really different about it. And I feel like somehow I, I got permission to tell the story versus hiding things between the layers of poetry, which is what I've always done. So I wanted to share the story and have it be kind of in your face. And so in a way, it was a blessing. So the journey itself and all the extra work was a good thing. And how is the form then shaping up for that book? Is it written uh, as a straightforward narrative or? Yeah, it's it kind of a mix. I have some of the some of the sheets of paper in front of me, but it's it's a nice mix. Like it starts off in full on prose, but there's I have it divided into six sections. And one of the sections called the cracks in the sidewalk is just photos of all of the houses. So there's no no text attached to any of the photos. It's just a stream, like a nice kind of like you know when you're walking on a sidewalk and you see that that crack, that line that separates the next piece. So that's how I have the photos organized. And then there is a, a section called the poetics, and there's just four short sonnets. I couldn't let go of the poetry altogether. I had to have a few pieces in there. So I fought for those pieces. And there's a, cr a crown of sonnets in, in there as well. So I kind of snuck some stuff in. Nice. <laughs> kind of hybrid nonfiction, but you can't throw out the poetry part. So that's still in there too. So you're not picking like a favorite genre, opinion. but yeah. 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 <laughs> maybe I say I don't want to poetry still in your heart. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about the essay because this you published this at the time of this recording fairly recently, the essay in the Globe and Mail. And you said, as a woman of color, having to prove my blackness should never be something on my list of things to accomplish. Like other marginalized people, I work in a mostly white world, which for me happens to be the Canadian literary community. So how did publishing that essay impact you? What was the ripple effects of that essay? Right. And I'm glad you asked how publishing the essay affected me over writing it because people keep asking me, you know, why did you write that? And how did it feel to write that? And well, I live in my skin, in my body, 24 hours a day, every day. I can't not write that. And so why should I have to separate what and who I am from what I write? And for me, that's always connected in a way. And so it's the publishing part that I thought long and hard about. I knew I would receive some flack and I knew that it wouldn't fall into the hands of everyone that I wanted it to fall into the hands of. And the Globe and Mail has such a large reach anyway. So I knew that it was going to be out there, out there. But I did receive, you know, some really, really amazing, good, positive emails from people who said that they felt like they were not alone in thinking these things. You know, and there was quite a few trolls. Uh, on the online version of the article itself. And uh, if you read through those, you'll see that, um, yeah, the people that are commenting on this don't really seem to understand why this would be an important thing to write about for someone who's deep in the Camlet community, right? So I kind of had to have some thick skin there and just kind of disregard and, and just focus on the positive stuff. So it's kind of what, what I did there. But I mean, receiving those emails was a big help. And, you know, if, if sharing my story and my feelings and my struggle is going to help someone out and bring it on, you know, because we're all here to tell stories. And if someone tells me they don't want to hear it, fair enough, you know, push out your chair and step away from the table and let the rest of us do work, you know. Yeah, I love that. And the chair metaphor 
holds too with the commentators who are in the cheap seats really and mm-hmm. don't even know what's going on in Canlet. I think it was such an important essay to publish. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and you did it with such grace. And I'm I'm going to also talk actually about grace when, with my next question about becoming the managing editor of Room. A little backstory people may not know, but I was the managing editor before mm-hmm. Shalene, and so I handed that on to her. So I know how tough of a job mm-hmm. it is. And you do it with a lot of grace, and there's a lot of pieces involved. There are a lot of people involved. So how do you find that job itself? But then also, how does that work fit into your creative life? I make a lot of lists. <laughs> constantly. So there's, there's such a wide scope of things that I have to do. And you know that. So I try to balance it all out by staying as organized as I can. And I think the tough thing is not finding time for my creative endeavors. But instead, where I feel the push more is being a single parent, being a while being a single working parent. And so commuting to my day job, then to room's office, then home. It could be like, sometimes it's like 10 p.m. at this point, right? So think about the launch last night. I mean, I was at work in the morning, then I was at room midday, and then setting up and organizing the launch. It was like, probably, let me do some quick math. I think that's like 14 hours, right? That's like yeah. a 14 hour or 12 hour oh, day. Gosh. So there's a certain amount of physical exhaustion that kind of gets to me sometimes. I mean, I can always find time to write. If I'm on the bus, then there's another hour right there where I can scribble some stuff down or you know on my break at work I take advantage of that so I always go to a little coffee shop and sit there for 20 or 30 minutes and just separate myself from the work for a bit and just work on my own stuff so those little moments of time are so important and they add up so I take advantage of that quite a bit but you know I try to treat myself too to random moments of just sitting and thinking and I will admit, I also treat myself to lunch and a happy hour glass of wine at least once a week. So that helps. (laughs) And, you know, just knowing that at Room, we're doing such important work, it just kind of keeps me going. And even those days when all I want to do is just watch Netflix and eat wings, I just try to remember what, what we're doing and why we're doing it. Yeah, and it's such a different mode, I guess, being like, out there with people and not alone with your papers too, which is sort of sometimes what you want to get back to when you have a long night like that. But I think it's so great to hear you say about how important the work is and and other people's voices out there, which I think you're doing amazing stuff with. And and one of the things I loved hearing in your answer too, just how you do the writing, because sometimes people say, well, you know, I I work full time or, and in your case, you're working a lot. You have a second job with room and then you also have these different times that you have to be called on to do stuff, but you're, Mm. you're writing in cafes, you're writing in those extra moments in the day. That's just even personally inspiring for me to think, okay, yeah, that's how you do it all. That's how you balance parenting. Because I think (laughs) people think you're supposed to sit down for hours and just, you know, belt out all this writing. I've never done that. Even if I have a full day to myself, I'll write for like 10, 20 minutes and then go make a sandwich or something. I mean, like I break it up. I've always worked in like this fragmented kind of a way and it just, it works, you know, why tire yourself out trying to find five hours of time to write? It's probably never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're saying it works and you're writing in a bunch of different genres too, because sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll get into the mindset just in my own writing too. Oh, well, I can do incrementally with poetry, but if I'm working with longer pieces of prose, I need at time, but no challenge accepted, Shalene. I'm going to work yep. on <laughs> incrementally too. All right. <laughs> and I guess that's one of the things I just love about the collective at Room too is that we kind of inspire each other too. A lot of us are writers, and so we're working mm-hmm. alongside each other and learning how to do the amazing things that everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
can you talk a little bit about how becoming an editor informed your writing practice and what that transition has been like for you? Hmm. Well, I would say that revision is like 50% of writing anyway. So I think that's what makes a writer a writer is that need to revise and to make things better and to make your work the best it can be. So editing has exposed me to so many different styles. And if I find a style that I like, I will latch onto it. So I don't know if I call it transition really, but I would say it's more of an infusion. So the two things working together and just seeing the way other people are writing makes me think. So it unlocks a lot of things. You know, I think, well, if I'm going to do nonfiction, do I have to write this in a traditional essay format, which is why I steer clear of it so often. I want to kind of mix it up a bit. And so reading submissions at room really helped me see that, yeah, you can kind of do whatever you want to do. And just as long as you're forming the words the way that it'll impact somebody, then you can go ahead and break it up and break some rules. So I like that. Why yeah. not? Yeah. And a lot of our submitters are really rule breakers because we're inviting mm. really new writers who don't know enough of the rules sometimes even to know that they're breaking them. And uh, always really exciting, I think, to see. Okay, so we're going to take a little break. And then when we get back, we're going to talk more about how Room operates and just some things around submissions for people who might be interested in submitting to Room and how that works. This episode of the podcast Lit Mag Love is brought to you by the course with the ever original name Lit Mag Love. Now, this course is an opportunity for you to get smart, fearless and published It only opens a couple times per year, but if you wanted to sign up, you would be able to get one free lesson and on the wait list for a nice discount when the course opens again. Now, my students have said things like, as soon as I took Rachel's advice, I started to get acceptance letters in my email. Thank you, that's Anne Filkowski who said that. And Amanda Bishop says, if you have a chance to learn from Rachel Thompson, you should take it. And those students are part of this amazing course community that we're building that is a wonderful, supportive place for you to discuss publishing and writing, get really strategic around it, and also get that kind of support and feedback from your peers so you can keep going and keep submitting and publishing. You can find out more on litmaglove.com. So we're back from the break. I'm here with Shalene Knight from Room Magazine. Shalene is the managing editor at Room. And Room is an editorial collective. We're a collective of writers and editors, I guess, who are working on the project. And that sometimes can be a little bit of a difficult thing to explain to people. Because we were established, I guess, 40 years ago, we came out of a time when there was a lot of collectives and there are fewer and fewer of them. I'm wondering what you found since being managing editor was the most misunderstood thing about how room operates and what do you wish people understood I guess about room Mm -hmm. yeah I think it's the collective aspect that I have to explain quite a bit and so I think when people think of editors of magazines they see this kind of tiered effect where there's an editor at the top and then all these people that kind of trickle underneath and room is different because we don't work like that we work more of in a circle I guess where I mean, and that itself is kind of tough because we want to have everybody in agreement before we, you know, move forward uh, with a decision for something. And that's kind of tough because you want to please everybody, but you also want to do the best thing for the magazine. 
And sometimes what someone else wants to do might not be the best thing for the magazine. So you're in this constant whirlwind of, I want to make folks happy. I want to keep this magazine going. I want to do the best work that I can. But how do I do that without, one, stepping on people's toes and, you know, disregarding people's opinions about things? So I try to encourage conversation. And really, that's all we're, we're doing is just having conversations and kind of working out the kinks. And I find that the more I talk one-on-one -on -one with people and the more meetings we have and the more just conversation that we have, we're kind of eliminating a, a lot of that what's going on and a lot of that murkiness. So everyone knows I am hashtag transparency, you know, and for that very reason, I don't want folks to misunderstand, you know, within the collective and outside of the collective. I think people assume that uh, lit mag editors are these well-paid, authoritative type people you know, sitting behind these big mahogany desks, just stamping papers with reject or, you know, like that's kind of that stereotype that sits next to editors. And really, yeah. we're not like that at all. We are in cafes, you know, we're carrying all of our work around with us, getting wet in the rain. And, you know, people don't see the crazy amount of hours, meetings, emails, Trello boards, spreadsheets that go into putting this magazine together. So I try to share as much of that process as I can with the you know folks outside of the collective. And I can say that I don't see many other magazines doing that right now. So people always ask, you know, oh, why does it take so long for you to decide on my work and, and get back to me? But they really don't see us gutting the kitchen. You know, they see the end result, they see the issue. But every issue is built from the ground up and that kind of takes a lot of time. But we also have nothing to hide, so why not share our hard work with the people who trust us with theirs, right? So it just makes sense to me to be telling everybody what we're doing. Why not? Yeah, hashtag transparency. That's a great way mm -hmm. to put it. <laughs> Everyone knows. <laughs> and we tend to do a lot more behind the scenes. I've noticed that uh, Sierra, the contest coordinator, started doing a behind the scenes too of why even yeah. we have contests. That kind of stuff is so exciting to see. Yeah, I love stuff like that. It just clarifies things for people, right? Because it's this mysterious thing. People submit their work and then that's it. It goes into like this dark black hole and they're just sitting there waiting. And, you know, we're also writers, so we know what that feels like. So what can we do as editors to kind of take that away and kind of ease folks into it and say, hey, send us your work. It's not a scary process. And here's why. We're going to show you what we're doing once it comes to us. So. And, and when I work with writers, a lot of them may have submitted to room at one point and then were rejected and then just don't submit again. And I'm always mm -hmm. like, you realize we just change completely, like complete editorial teams every issue. So that just because that like, one. Have a better chance. <laughs> submit again. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? And when you're looking at submissions, what do you look for when you're editing an issue? Um, I think it's interesting for me because... I think most editors, like you said, have that favorite genre. So they kind of look for certain things. But for me, I write in all genres. So I'm always looking for something that kind of hits me really quick. So you don't get a lot of time with me. Like I'm not going to read five pages to decide if I like something. You might have one page. And I know a lot of editors are like that as well, where you have this small window to do something amazing because as you know we get a ton of submissions so you gotta drive it home really quick and yeah because I have experience in many genres I'm pretty flexible but I do give creative nonfiction more time because sometimes I feel like you have to build up that momentum before it slaps you in the face and I respect that about the genre so I have some different rules there 
but I usually find my star submission and then anchor the rest of the issue off of that. And so you, you'll read something and it'll do something to you inside. You can't explain it. You just know that you have to have that piece. So that's my, what I call my anchor submission and I'll, I'll accept that immediately. And then as I start reading other work, I try to, especially if you're working on an unthemed issue, you have to try to create that, those connections yourself. So I'll look for threads that might connect to another piece. Same thing for art, which I actually struggle a little bit with, but I'm getting better I'm doing some research there. So it's just finding the threads that connect. But I mean, if your writing is polished, your story comes across the page well, then your writing will do the work for you and it will get noticed for sure. Yeah, I'm just proofing your current issue, the one that's just coming out. And I, I'm loving the art in there too. I agree with this struggle, though. It's something that I've struggled with too, not being a visual artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as editors were called on to do everything. We have to find the art. We have to find all the right. pieces. So many hats we have to wear, right? Yeah, yeah. What's neat is that you get this different take from each editor. Yeah, I love that. I think we should probably have more art conversations too, just because so many of us are scared of it. You know, I know I am. So something to think about. Yeah, I think so too. And definitely one of the things that happens is we don't actually get a lot of art submissions. So right. people are visual artists. Submit, submit your art. Send us your stuff, please. Yeah. You. Often we end up going to look for it and then we're... Yeah, we have to, yeah, we have to say, hey, who do you know in the art world that would like to submit to Room? Yeah. So part of your role as managing editor is you're also doing all the training and orientation for new editors coming up and you're supervising editors like me. I'm working on an issue and you're the person I'm reporting to. So right. what should writers who submit to Room expect when their work is accepted? Yeah, I like this question because I think you can expect something different depending on who's editing the issue because we rotate editors. But I think it's fair to say that, yeah, this can vary. For me, as I already talked about earlier, I tried to answer questions that folks might have. I tried to keep in communication about the progress of the issue because sometimes, too, you'll submit your work and then it gets accepted and then you don't hear anything. So if your work gets accepted early on in the editing process, you might not hear something for four or five months, right? And you're kind of like, uh, you know, I remember my work getting accepted once and not hearing anything for like, I think it was eight months or nine months. And I'm like, wait a minute, did they send me that acceptance letter by accident? Because now I'm not hearing anything. And so I start second guessing myself. I'm like, oh God, do I email them? Am I going to annoy them? Like, what do I do? So I think we can easily eliminate all of that for submitters by just saying, you know, I like your work, I'm going to publish your work, you might not hear back from me for a couple of months, but I will try to keep you as involved as I can let you know what's happening. And I think we do a good job of that we send out contributor letters, letting folks know when the issue is going to come out, how they can get copies for their friends and families. So you can tell that we've had these conversations already. And we thought about ways that we can keep folks involved. And it's so, so important to be a, a part of that. And yeah, I think we're doing a pretty good job, but we can always do better. So, you know, but it was definitely my first experience uh, with that lit mag editor from Raven Chronicles who kind of ingrained that in my head that, okay, this is a standard that we can uphold if, if we're willing to do the extra work. So Definitely. I think one of the things that works with us too is that we take a lot of feedback from people. So if people aren't happy with the process, we right. listen to that and we try to figure out how to fix it too. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point too. And Megan recently had this great idea that, hey, why don't we just send PDFs to all the contributors of their piece? And I'm like, okay, isn't that going to be a lot of work for you? But I mean, it probably takes a few minutes to just put every piece into a PDF. 
the editor fires those off to the contributors and then we make sure we're publishing their piece exactly as they want it because what poet wants their line breaks to be shifted or moved or you know incorrect so I think that's another additional step that's really necessary. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I can see that avoiding a lot of heartache. I wish yeah. that had been in place actually for my first issue because we did make a yeah. like that too. <laughs> yeah. So Room publishes a lot of emerging writers and yet is also highly regarded as a place to publish. This is the sense I get when I put writers out in the world. And more lately, I think we're getting more awards and attention too. So what I've seen just looking at all of the lit mag landscape is this is a rather unique position. Usually it's sort of you're one or the other. So you're publishing a lot of emerging writers, but you're not as highly regarded as an award-winning publication. So why do you think that is? What is it that's special about Room? Yeah, it's so cool because I hear those conversations all the time too. Just last night, someone came up to me at the, the 43 migration launch and she said, Room was the first, the first place where I published my work. And like, that's usually how the conversation starts. It's never, oh, hi, nice to meet you. How are you? It's, Room was the first place where I published my work. And I think that speaks volumes, that people are very excited about that and yeah the why behind that I think it just comes down to people trusting us with their work and everything that we're doing to share our process and to share our own struggles really I think that's what's creating that trust with people and it's a really cool thing so you know we're out there in the community having conversations we are approachable and so there's a huge amount of trust involved in all of this and I think room is really supportive so we have meetings about how to be more supportive and who does that so we take chances and we we take risks we think outside the box we publish stuff that we want to read and i think it's all you know really pretty simple we don't put a lot of rules and say you know we only publish this type of literary work and it's just like it's this very casual thing and i think that breaks down a lot of barriers for folks especially newer folks right and then we'll have a commissioned writer who's you know very established and then it's that combination of pairing someone up so you have this very established writer you have this newer writer with talent but maybe doesn't have all the connections out there right so we've just made that connection and then it kind of does its own thing from there so it's a really cool really cool thing and I love when people come up to me and say room was the first place where I published because that's my story too so then there's a another little connection I love it that's great yeah I I definitely love that too, where people, people kind of come up to you sometimes, I don't know if you've had this, where they feel like they know you because they've worked intimately yeah. with room. <laughs> and I you're love like, oh, that. I wasn't even editing that issue. I, you don't know them at first and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're in this issue. I, I remember your name. <laughs> yeah. It kind of freaks you out a bit because some yeah. people will come up to me. Oh, hi, Shalid. Like, wait a second. How do I know you? But I mean, they've probably seen our photos and stuff like that, but it's really cool. It's like you have this extended family in a way. And if I published somewhere and I knew the editor, I would be so terrified. I would not feel comfortable to go up to them, right? And just kind yeah. of say, hi, my name is so-and-so and I published with you. I always have this fear of this blank stare and the silence. So I don't ever want to do that. So I think at Room, we're doing some serious work where we are approachable. And that's so important. Definitely. Now, I've asked you to prepare a piece that you've picked for publication and just discuss the piece itself and why you chose it. Yeah, so I talked uh, before about my anchor piece, and that's usually the very first piece that I select. And uh, it's it was actually the opposite for 44, uh, this issue that I'm working on now, where it was the final piece that I selected. 
that's weird. So you're you're proofing this issue. You might have already come across the piece. Uh, it's called Force Field by Jan Everard, and it's a piece of fiction. And this was my 40.4 gem. So I found it for my final pages, and I find fiction really tough, you know, to to find. And like I find that I'm struggling when I'm searching for a fiction piece, but for some reason this just blew me away from the first sentence and I have it here. If I think about what I'm doing, I'll never get off the plane. Immediately I'm like, okay, I have a thousand questions. I want to read on. That was a really good hook. Why is she on this plane? And why would she not want to get off? So it was this really cool story about an online dating meetup where the main character flies off to Saskatchewan to meet this random person. But it's written in this way where nothing much happens, but so many things happen. And I've, it's, it's rare to read a story like that where I just connect immediately. And not because of the theme itself, just because the writing I found was so polished that I just kind of breezed through it. And I would connect it to the character immediately, which I find is hard to do in, in short stories. So I don't know how to explain it other than it's sort of the, the writing style, I think, that I, I want to steal and have in my own toolkit. So. I published it because not only was it stellar, but it pulled my entire issue together. So it kind of, everything kind of, there was all, all these threads sticking out and they were all loose. And I think that this piece kind of sat in the center and all the threads connected. And it's really cool to be able to, to be able to do that and see that in your head when you're working on an issue it was really, really cool. Yeah, definitely would be, that would be my anchor piece, force field. Thanks, Jan Everard, for sending that in. Yeah, it's okay. a little bit of magic, it sounds like, since it came at the end. That's, mm-hmm. that's so neat. And so you said it's a story where nothing happens, but everything happens, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of the story is just taking place in her head, all of her fears about, you know, meeting this person, and then she feels a, connect, a connection with this person, but then she also feels a disconnect, and she starts questioning herself. And I think it's very relatable, too, because, you know, maybe not all of us have done an online dating thing, but I'm pretty sure we've all second guessed something in our lives. And just having that interior conflict and that interior conversation, I found really, really, it resonated with me so much. So love it. Lovely. And you mentioned that it was polished. And I'm just wondering if you want to talk a little bit about what that means. What what are things that people could do to polish their work more to be accepted in that room? Yeah, I think it just comes down to structure, which I struggle quite a bit with. And so writing fiction is always very difficult for me because I never know how much to say, when to stop. And, you know, because I find if you have too much exposition, let's say you're describing things too much, it can kind of slow down the pacing. And I just think that this piece just was paced so well. So I was moving along as I was reading it in a way where I was never bored. And sometimes you get a little bored and you want to skim through certain pieces, but that didn't happen. And so you can tell that this person must have workshopped their piece. So they shared their work with someone else. They asked for feedback on it. They probably asked for very specific feedback because I find that sometimes if you just ask someone to read your work and you don't give them any guidelines, the kind of stuff you're going to get back might not be helpful to you when you're editing. So for me, I'll say, does this, do you connect to this character? If so, why? Or if you don't connect to this character, what can I do to, to fix that? So asking very specific questions when you're, you're revising your work and sharing it might help you. And you can tell when you read a piece that, yeah, this was worked on quite a bit. 
Yes, I love to hear that. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's sort of the kind of thing that we hear from all of the editors. So I think it's one that I'm going to underscore for people. It's like if you've really worked hard on your piece, it does show. It really shows reading the pieces mm -hmm. and they're they're going to be keep that engagement and all that. Yeah. So, or we can tell people to take your course. You have that polisher pros course. Yeah, right? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug. Over there. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I want to take it too. <laughs> well, you should. Okay. So thank you so much for being with me today, Shaleen. Again, early in the morning, right after a launch, after a 14 hour day, mm. the love that you have for for this particular lit mag and lit mags in general definitely shines through. So Aww, I appreciate you. you sharing a little bit of that love with our listeners too. Oh, thanks for having me and for coming up with, with such thoughtful questions. It means a lot to me that you, I can tell you took a lot of time. So hopefully my answers were not too short. No, not at all. <laughs> thanks. This episode of the podcast Lit Mag Love is brought to you by my course, also called Lit Mag Love. Now, the course only opens a couple times per year, and you can sign up, though, anytime for one free lesson. You'll get on the wait list, and you'll also get a lovely discount when the course opens again. You can do all that at litmaglove.com. What we learned from my interview with Shaleen today, one thing we learned was a tip about another magazine. So Raven Chronicles did a lot of personal feedback on submissions. So that was a great hot tip and someone to look out for. She talked a lot about writing in mixed genres and how she approaches that. And one thing I really loved that she said was that she doesn't actually have a favorite genre, but a favorite mindset. And the mindset that she has the power to change the world however she sees fit is one that she tries to enter into as she does the writing. I thought that was really beautiful and really telling of how Shaleen operates in terms of her writing and just in her presence. So she listens to the writing and follows it. Nowadays, genres are mixing and blending. So that's something that we're seeing a lot in submissions. And it's inspiring a lot of those of us who are writers as well as editors at Room. She said people don't see the crazy amount of hours, meetings, etc. that are sort of happening behind the scenes at a magazine. And so we are hashtag transparency. <laughs> That's something that Room is really striving for. And you can see that in this podcast as part of trying to understand the behind the scenes of how Lit Mags actually operate. And it comes from us trying to be transparent in that sense. You can also see there was a series I was mentioning from their contest coordinator is also on roommagazine.com right now where it's talking about contests and how they work. And as Shillian said, we don't see many other magazines doing that right now. That's something that we feel like we're, I guess, a bit on the cutting edge in terms of really peeling back the curtains and letting people in. Now, when it came time for Shillian to read your submissions, she said, you have a small window to do something amazing. So you got to drive it home really quick. She has experience in many genres, so it's not like she gives preference to genres. She will, however, give CNF more time. And that is because she respects that about the genre, that it takes more to kind of build up and get into something. And it, it makes sense. You're writing from real life versus completely inventing a story. When she picked the piece that she spoke about, she said not only was it stellar, but it pulled her entire issue together. And I think that's something to really pay attention to, that sometimes we're accepting pieces not just because they are amazing 
and they blow our socks off, but also because of something they do in concert with the rest of the pieces that we've accepted for an issue. And the flip side of that is your piece may be stellar, it may be amazing, but it doesn't have that resonance with the rest of an issue. And that might be a reason why we turn something down. So rejection can mean a lot of things. It's something I like to underscore for, for writers who sometimes think rejection might mean that, that people think your writing's no good. And it just there is just so many factors that go into why we pick a piece. She also talked about that it was really polished. Writing fiction is very difficult, something she finds difficult. And so seeing something that was paced so well that she's moving along in a way where she was never bored. And you can tell that the writer in this case must have workshopped their piece, that they asked for feedback for it. And then she went on to specify even more that they probably asked for very specific feedback on it. This is something that she does when she approaches her writing and asks for feedback. Do you connect to the character? If so, why? If you don't, what can I do? She can see, and so many editors can see, when you as the writer have put that much work into your piece. Here is your Lit Mag Lowdown for Room Magazine. Room pays semi-pro to pro payments. So that means $50 Canadian for one page and it goes up to 150 for five or more pages and there's stages in between. And we publish creative nonfiction, fiction, poetry, and art, as we mentioned in the interview, is something we don't get a lot of actually. So it would be worthwhile to submit. And we'll publish hybrid forms. We're open to a lot of hybrid forms too, but you would have to categorize it. You'd have to pick CNF or fiction or poetry for your submission. Um, we also accept submissions all year round and the preferred length for fiction and creative nonfiction are up to 3,500 words. Poetry is up to five poems and up to five images. Show notes for this episode are available on litmaglovepodcast.com and there you'll also be able to sign up to be notified when new episodes come out. If you feel some litmag love for this episode, please tell us in a review on iTunes. When you do, you will automatically be entered for a bi-weekly draw for a subscription to Room Magazine.